<laughs> Hello. Hello. And welcome to another episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we have a doozy for you. I'm sorry, there's literally no other word to use. <laughs> That's just the best word. And it, I feel like it's very applicable this week, especially. I agree. I agree. It's definitely a good word this week. Yeah. I, uh, I've been saving this case <laughs> to do on a rainy day. <laughs> it's not a rainy day. Uh, but because it was kind of like a long one and it's very, it's like a recent one in the last 10 years in Metro Detroit, that was like major news and I actually remember the case and like when it happened and when we get to the end I will tell you my little fun fact of how I might be like weirdly connected to this case (laughs) oh interesting I'm excited yes I (laughs) I I've been waiting to tell you this because I think I told you this before like I have like these two weird connections to like big metro Detroit cases that happened I think you, in my lifetime, and this is one of them. <laughs> ah, yeah, I, I remember you mentioning that previously, so I'm excited to hear, I guess, what the the little connection is there. It's a dumb connection, but it's connection nonetheless. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. <laughs> well, anything else to, like, add before we dive right in, in or not? <laughs> no, nah, I don't think so. Dive right in. Sweet. On January 25th, 2012, a body would be found in the back seat of an abandoned car in an alleyway on Detroit's east side. This body would launch an investigation that would shake up the lives of many people in this metro Detroit suburb, and the story that would unfold is one you would only see on TV. Murder, sex, and scandals covered the headlines of this case, and today we will tell you the real story. So Jane Bashara was a 56-year-old woman and a native of Mount Clemens, which was a metro Detroit suburb. In 2012, she was serving as a senior marketing manager for an energy consulting company in Detroit. She was extremely smart. She held a bachelor's and master's degree in business administration, and she was described as like a real go-getter who worked her way into higher society, her family, she didn't necessarily, like, come from money. Jane was living in the nicer suburban city of Gross Point Park and was very involved in the community, including the Mother's Club for the local high school and her two children that had previously, which was the local high school her two children had previously attended. Uh, Also, for those of you not in Michigan or in this area, Gross Point Park is, like, the nice suburb. (laughs) Like, I mean, like, millionaires live in in this city. It's, like, a bordering town of Detroit, but it's very, very bougie. (laughs) Yeah, I had actually seen in one of the articles that I read that there was, like, at one point, either, like, one of the richest people in the United States or, like, the richest person in, like, Michigan in general that lived in this town. So, like, to put that into consideration. Uh, yes. So, it was, like, it's, even now, it's 
very, <laughs> very expensive and like very nice city to live in. I'm trying to see if I can like find any like famous people that live there. But <laughs> there was uh, like one of the articles I saw was basically like at one point in time, Gross Point Park, because of the city, made Det- Metro Detroit like in the suburbs of Detroit, one of the top 10 richest like metro cities in the U.S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which like to paint a picture like that, it's a very wealthy area. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So Jane at this time was married for 26 years to Bob Bashera. He was a businessman and actually a well-known philanthropist in the area. He was the father of her two children, Jessica, who was 20 in 2012, and Robert, who was 24. Bob owned multiple rental properties and was involved in the city's Rotary Club. He was a son of an appellate court judge and had a family who was pretty well off themselves. He grew up in Gross Point Park and had lived there his entire life. And he grew up involved in a variety of country clubs and social clubs. So just to paint a picture of, like, Bob was very accustomed to this lifestyle. So on January 24th, 2012, Jane Bashara was at a work meeting in downtown Detroit with coworkers in the afternoon. That would be the last time anyone saw Jane alive. That evening, around 11, 11.30, her husband, Bob, reported her missing since he could not get a hold of her and she never returned home. He claimed she was supposed to be home by 8, and since she wasn't answering her phone, it was very unlike her. He became really worried. Around 7 a.m. the next day, January 25th, a tow truck driver discovered what appeared to be an abandoned Mercedes-Benz SUV in an alleyway, and when he approached... Jane's body was in the back seat. Police were immediately called and started the investigation right away. It was established within like 24 hours, Jane had died of strangulation and she had several broken nails indicating she had fought for her life. They said that there were definitely bruises as well. And later on, it would determine she also had like signs of blunt force trauma. So like a pretty brutal attack. There was, like, immediate public outcry and, like, news coverage over Jane's death, at least in the metro Detroit area first. Jane's, you know, status, an upper-class white woman from an affluent family, very involved in the community, as I mentioned. So, like, it was closely followed, at least locally at first. And in fact, there was a candlelight vigil held the night her body was found on the lawn of the Gross Point South High School lawn, which I thought was interesting because, like, you can tell immediately they took action. You know what I mean? Yeah, usually those, I mean, vigils happen, like, pretty quickly, but not that quickly. I feel like Correct. it's, like, <laughs> a couple of days later or, like, the weekend after or something. Yeah, and it was, like, less than 12 hours after her body was found. That's crazy. Yes. So, to ensure the proper attention was given to this case, the Detroit police worked jointly with the Gross Point Park Police Department, since that's where Jane was from. And even the Michigan State Police got involved since it was crossing over jurisdictions. 
On January 27th, only two days after Jaden's body was found, the Gross Point Park police chief announced Bob Beshera was a person of interest in the investigation with no other persons of interest at this time. So, like, immediately, something was going off behind the scenes to the investigators for them to be like, uh, we're going to release this information right away that we think the husband did it. <laughs> I thought that was interesting because you don't really, like, release a person of interest, especially, like, a family no. member, right away. So, That's it was... Thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was reported... I was thinking, like, no- Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, like, I feel like normally what they'll do is they'll be like, we have, like, a person of interest or, like, a couple people in mind, but they don't actually, like, release the name right away because then, you know, it's bad for, like, the investigation or whatever. So, like, that to me meant, like, that's the only person they're going to arrest this person for the crime, like, ASAP. Yeah, and there had to have been something, like I said, behind the scenes that made them feel so strongly about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only thing I could find is that it was reported by multiple sources that Bob had taken a polygraph test about his involvement and he had failed. During that polygraph test, a warrant was also executed at the Bashara home, which confiscated all computers and like other items in the home. So that's all I could really find. I will also say that he did agree to do this polygraph test where he failed. Uh, later on, like a week or two later, he would do another one that was privately paid for by his attorney. And he passed. So. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> now, we obviously know like polygraph tests are not 100% reliable. Honestly, I would probably fail one because I'm so nervous and stressed that I would freak out and probably be internally panicking. It's true. That's very true. But that's probably just my anxiety. I don't think everyone's like that. So, yeah. By the end of January, so, I mean, that was only a few days later, investigators confirmed that they had a belief Jean had actually been killed in her own home before being staged in her car. I guess there was a witness that came forward basically saying they saw Jean at her home. Not like, I don't know if they drove by and saw her car in the driveway or what it was, but at some point in time, she was home that evening. Bob had claimed that he had been out and came home and she wasn't there and he couldn't get a hold of her. And he said, I think he came home, like, after she was supposed to be home, like, after that 8 o'clock mark. So he was very confused. That was what he he had stated to investigators. On February 1st, it was released that a developmentally disabled handyman, Joe Gentz, had confessed to police that he helped get rid of Jane's body from the garage of her own home. He had claimed Bob paid him I wrote $2,000, but honestly, depending on Joe's account and, and which time, it ranged from $2,000 to $10,000. That was how much he was paid and an old Cadillac to help murder and cover up Jean's murder. Uh, police did kind of dismiss these allegations at first, which sounds very strange, but Joe had an IQ of 67. So for everyone who... <laughs> does not know about IQ tests. I didn't know. I looked it up. Um, 
anything under like 70 or something like that is actually considered a very low end. Um, usually like teenagers are like 80s, 90s, like 15, 16 years, year olds. <laughs> And that's like a standard. So to put you at like an IQ of 67 is considered like very underdeveloped mentally, we'll say. Like it's a very low IQ and this is usually where you're, you know, developmentally impaired. And so they kind of dismiss these allegations by Joe and like what he had confessed because, yeah, he knew Bob, but they were weren't like... They were trying to check out his story, essentially, without immediately jumping to conclusions. And while also doing that, Joe's story was kind of changing here and there. Like, he would change bits of piece, bits and pieces, so they didn't know how solid this story was. In the meantime, what started coming out later on in this investigation, while everyone looked very closely at Bob and his life, Several publications released stories that he allegedly was living a double life of, like, sexual deviancy, we'll say. (laughs) And I'm just going to say right now before we dig into this, I am not here to, like, king shame anyone and what you're into. (laughs) I know uh, I might make jokes about some things, uh, (laughs) but, like, as long as everyone involved is safely consenting, I guess I can't really shame anyone you know (laughs) I like want to get that PSA out there because I don't mean to offend anyone if this is what you're into (laughs) the headline I'm dying I'm just trying to be polite because like whatever no I get it I get it I get it adults like who cares I guess but (laughs) The headlines did call it, like, a sexual, like, sexually deviant lifestyle, and I think they, like, played up on this whole, like, this whole thing that I'm going to get into. (laughs) So, articles were claiming Bob was a sadomasochist, and he had a sex dungeon in one of the buildings he owned, which was underneath the Hard Luck Lounge in Gross Point Park. How true is that story, though? I'm like, were they just amping this up? This is what we will cover. (laughs) Uh, Employees at the bar did confirm that Bob had been going into the basement, been seen going into the basement various times with several different women. Sometimes he was seen bringing things down there with them. One or two witnesses claimed to see items that look like lips or some sort of bondage. But we're going to get out into this, like, more soon and, like, what came forward. Because as this news is breaking about all this stuff in, like, the timeline in the news about what Bob is into, on March 3rd, 2012, Joe Gens was actually officially arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Joe's confession, like I said before, was that he killed Jane and he said he did so by strangling her in the garage of the Peshera family home. While Bob was there, he claimed he did so at Bashara's behest, actually, while he said he had Bob pointing a gun at him and told her, told him to shut her up while they were arguing. So he strangled her and then he drove her car and planted it in Detroit in an alleyway to make it seem possibly like a carjacking gone wrong. 
So fast forward to June of 2012, it came to light that Bob actually had hired a hitman to try and kill Joe Gens. This was prior to Gens's trial. And when the police discovered this and questioned Bob, he admitted it. So just to clarify, there was recorded conversations with Bob. So like, at first I was like, wow, he admitted it so easily. I think it's because there were taped conversations with Bob and the man he was trying to pay to find a hitman. Uh, he claimed he had hired the hitman to kill Gens for revenge for Joe killing Jane. However, it, it really didn't matter. Bob would go to jail for this in 2012. And I'll get to that in a little bit more on like what that looked like. But to be clear, at this time, he was still a suspect in Jane's murder as well. And the de detectives were really just working on enough evidence to make that, like, any charges stick and him to actually be convicted. It just kind of helped that he could be behind bars in the meantime. So during this investigation, three separate women would come forward claiming to be mistresses of Bob's at least either his current mistress or at one point in time. When this news was breaking of all these women coming forward, Bob's attorney actually had claimed to the press he and Jane were in an open marriage. Although I will say that no evidence could like literally ever support this. There is not a single person who knew the Basheras that said Bob and Jane were ever in an open marriage. So I mean like bold statement. <laughs> One woman who was named as a mistress was Rachel Golette, I believe is how you say her name. And Bob and his attorney actually maintained Rachel was just a friend. However, Rachel claims that Bob had told her Jane had discovered their relationship just weeks before the murder. So interesting. I did also see they also executed a warrant at uh, Rachel's house. And there's later on, I'll talk about, you know, Bob's kids and like anything that they've talked about. But it came out in the trial, actually, that Bob's daughter had been missing a piece of jewelry that was found in Rachel's home. So, like, he can deny that him and Rachel were in a relationship, but he literally gave like an antique family heirloom that was his daughter's from like a, a relative that had been passed down to Rachel. <laughs> So, like weird shady yeah <laughs> the women who would come forward would explain of master bob and that's in air quotes <laughs> that's how he referred to himself online and women had said that they would respond to online ads for various sexual things so there was a live-in third party in a marriage was one of the ads uh, there were also things mentioned about alternative sexual lifestyles, teaching people to be more of like the submissive in a relationship, all of that. These women also described his dungeon, and that's again in air quotes as he called it. Uh, it was in the basement under the bar, not far from his home. It was described as a windowless, narrow bedroom in a basement with a bed in one corner hooks on the ceiling for bondage, and a small wooden cabinet full of whips, candles, chains, and sex toys. So I will say it does seem much of the sex stories sold in the papers was quite true. Uh, like I said, they kind of sold it more as like 
this deviant lifestyle. <laughs> and like, obviously BDSM, as long as it's consenting adults, I will emphasize, <laughs> is not a bad thing. <laughs> also, look at our Instagram of pictures of Bob Bashir. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. like I feel like the media though, they, they just cling on to like the one thing like so that's the one like bad thing or you know I don't know I guess negative you know secret item that he has in his life so like they cling on to that and then they just like throw it out there because I feel like that's not like uncommon for them to do I mean in other cases too where it's like he had a sex dungeon like oh well like I said like it was like murder sex scandals yeah headlines and I feel like they were good headlines to sell. Exactly. It, it's very intriguing for people. Correct. So it's like a good way to sell the story and, you know, get the attention needed for, I guess, the case by the papers. So I'm sure they like played that up a lot. <laughs> but they're not the only ones. <laughs> As mentioned, Bob was arrested in 2012 for the solicitation of murder when he tried to hire a hitman to kill Joe Gens. He pled guilty to this in October of 2012, which, like I said, was kind of smart because there were recorded conversations between him and the man he tried to hire. He offered the man $20,000 for uh, the murder of Joe Gens. (laughs) So in December of 2012, he was sentenced to 80 to 240 months for the solicitation. So basically guaranteeing Bob's going to be behind bars for, you know, some years now. And that gave the investigators some time. Joe Gens would be sentenced to a minimum of 17 years for second-degree murder after pleading guilty in 2012. Originally, he actually refused to testify against Bob, which did delay the start of, of his trial, since obviously Joe's confession was a key part of the evidence. He would eventually agree to testify, though, and basically the only reason he agreed is his attorney had to have, like, multiple conversations with him that his plea deal would could be revoked if he did not testify. That was a part of his deal. So I thought that was interesting because that does go to show, I guess, like, his mental capacity, right? If, like, he didn't understand that part of the plea deal was that he had to testify. Uh, but it was impo- it's also important to note that Joe was very threatened by Bob for, like, years. Even in, like, 2019, he spoke out and, like, or was interviewed in an article. And he said, you know, he was still worried about Bob. <laughs> and Bob could still have him killed behind bars. Uh, Bob's second trial would begin on October of 2014, which was for the murder, murder of Jane. So that would finally occur a couple years later. And a lot happened. (laughs) This occurred in a period of over about two months and had more than 70 witnesses. I think they said more than like four or 500 pieces of evidence or documents were presented. So it was like a pretty hefty trial. Like (laughs) they were pulling everything that they could to like kind of campaign against Bob. And the motive presented by the prosecutors was that Bob was set to get uh, an $800,000 401k account in the event of Jane's death. 
and he wouldn't have to pay out in a, in a divorce or deal anything with that uh, so he could live his alternative lifestyle. That was a huge, his lifestyle in this like sexual fantasy world that he was in the other half of the time was like a huge part of the trial. I thought it was important to kind of dive into a little bit of the trial because a lot of people testified against Bob. <laughs> a lot. Uh, his mother testified against him, which is never a great thing. Uh, she had testified. Th- yes. And listen, she does not paint a good picture for Bob at all. She testified that she paid for Jane's funeral and the couple before Jane's death had owed her so clearly the financials were very strained and it was not looking good. (laughs) She also had put into a lockbox at Bob's request uh, a few weeks after everything that had happened, a bag with jewelry in it. And basically Bob had told her, uh, he wanted it safe in the lockbox in case anything were happened for, Jessica or whatever, you know, he was already uh, a person of interest at that point and he was worried and for financial reasons, he wanted to set aside. Mom didn't even look into it, put it in her lockbox, come to find out it was a gun. <laughs> it was not a bunch of jewelry. And Oh at, my God. Yes. And at that point in time, Bob had done several interviews I think this is very funny where he talked about like being a pacifist. He would never hurt a hair on his wife's head. He didn't even own a gun, all this stuff. But like his, his mom had the gun that he owned (laughs) and she didn't know at first. So like, buddy, your mom testifying you against you. That does not look good. So, do you know, like, what the reasoning was? Like, why, how did the mom come to find out that it wasn't jewelry? Like, did she just get, like, interested one day? Or, like, (laughs) I have no idea. Uh, I, like, I really don't know. (laughs) And I don't really want to testify. I think think a big reason of her testifying was, like, during the investigation, it came out that they owed her so much money because the money was a huge motive to the prosecution team. But I don't know about the jewelry and the gun part. That's interesting. Or maybe like the cops were like, hey, you know, because obviously the money thing probably came out. So they were like, oh, has has he given you anything or like said anything to you? And then she's like, yeah, he gave me this box of jewelry. They're like, yeah, there's a gun in here. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe that's like how it came out. I've read a lot of articles that were like, archived articles about like oh today in the trial this came out and Mm. so like that's kind of how I got that (laughs) okay I also got another article just like that that both the Bashara children testified against Bob as well like his son and his daughter so Jessica was 22 at the time of the trial And she actually testified about a couple different things. First, she talked about how her father would surf pornographic websites uh, often when she was in the room. And it made her super uncomfortable. She had talked about the first time she had basically caught him. Listen, I will not go into details about what he had said to her when she caught him and, like, called him out. Like, what the hell are you doing? 
because uh, it's really gross. <laughs> uh, it's in my sources. Feel free to read. But basically, he's talking bad about the wife. <laughs> uh, and then she also said, you know, not long after that, she had seen a sexually explicit text from a woman named Rose come across her dad's phone. She said she confronted him about it, which he denied. (laughs) When she confessed, she said he pressed a bunch of buttons like he was trying to pull up the message back and then was like, oh, there's no message. See, you're losing your mind. Well, like, yeah, idiot, you probably just deleted it. (laughs) Right. So... She actually said she told her mom about the text and that her mom had also confronted Bob about it. And, like, he tried to deny it to her and, like, talk about how, like, Jessica's, you know, crazy. That's not what happened. Blah, 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 blah. But she said, like, her mom knew he was lying and she believed the daughter. She also testified about her parents' marriage, describing it rocky at best. I guess, like, within the last month or two, she had had multiple conversations with her mother. And Jane had told her, basically, you know, she was really trying to make things work. But she thought there was a strong possibility for a divorce. And her only concern that she told her daughter was basically making a clean break and keeping her 401k account. Because she worked really hard to build that money up. And that was hers. Uh, But because Bob was so much in debt and struggling financially in all the rental properties, and most of them had her name on it as well, she was worried about a divorce turning ugly and him getting some of that money from her to take her name off of it. I don't know. It it didn't look good. So basically his daughter's testimony (laughs) adds that he is basically a really gross person (laughs) with like it seems like a sex addiction almost because if you're clearly comfortable surfing pornographic websites as like a 50 something year old man with your 20 year old daughter in the room and okay with her catching you doing it that's kind of (laughs) weird and uh obviously she like showed more motive about him being interested in that money. So that was not a great look. <laughs> the son also testified, Robert, who was 26 at the time, and he testified to a jailhouse conversation he had with his father on the phone. Fun fact, it was a <laughs> recorded phone conversation. And basically, Bob was trying to use Jane's ashes as a bargaining chip and told Robert, you know, to convince Jane's family to be cooperative, and that's in quotes, with the investigation, and that if they were, he would make sure that they get Jane's ashes, which is very fucking gross. <laughs> he actually that's said little... that he was, sorry. <laughs> no, that's just a little weird. <laughs> little yeah, off. Yeah, like, and to say that to your son. Yeah. Like, So Robert said actually on sand, he was like very upset with the things his father was saying. And it definitely made him feel like his father father was very cold about it all and how he was acting. So he said he did not relay these messages to the family at all. (laughs) Like he did not want anyone basically helping his dad. Babashara would be convicted on December 18th, 2014 for Jane's death. 
A month later, he would be sentenced to life in prison on six different charges, which included first-degree murder, solicitation of murder, and obstruction of justice. Since the trial, some things have happened as well. 2014, that's only, you know, eight years ago, seven and a half years ago from when he was sentenced. So in December of 2015, a year after Bob was convicted, Joe Gens actually signed an affidavit claiming he committed perjury and Bob had nothing to do with Jane's death. So that was like a big deal because if Joe said like, hey, I lied, obviously that could be grounds for Bob's conviction to be overturned. Uh, He had signed that affidavit. So that's like an important thing to remember. A few months later, under oath, he actually said the affidavit was a lie. He claimed he didn't know what he was signing. And he again reiterated the events that happened. He even recounted being in the Bashara home when Bob pulled a gun on him and, like I said earlier, told him to shut her up. So one of the attorneys actually said it was fascinating the way, like, Joe was with his words because he would paint a picture. There would be details he would mess up, like, the amount of money and like all this kind of stuff, but his exact events of what happened never changed except like this, you know, anytime he'd sign like an affidavit or whatever, but anytime he'd testify, the events never changed. He always said the same things and like painted this like very, like he remembered what happened very clearly is what I'm trying to say. So, in July of 2016, Babashera filed for a retrial on grounds of ineffective counsel. I think we've talked about this before, but maybe not. I think that's, like, a very common, easy one (laughs) to file a retrial for. Yes. Uh, It's actually very funny. The judge denied (laughs) the claim and even cited that Bob had a legal, in quotes, dream team. (laughs) So, she was like, nah, fam. (laughs) You had some good-ass lawyers. (laughs) That's funny. That is funny. Yeah. I also feel like if you don't, like, I feel like if you don't come up with that claim, like, immediately after your trial, like, if you don't start, you know, complaining about your attorneys, like, right away, then it usually always gets denied. Because it's like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Now you want to claim that, you know, a year later? back. Well, sometimes it should be filed and then it's it's denied and it should be looked into but a lot of times they claim that and it's like no like you actually had good attorneys it's not like you had some public defender who couldn't give you the time of day no you just well and even the public defenders okay I know I know but I'm saying like a lot of those cases like innocence projects for example a lot of those cases are ineffective counsel or whatever because a lot of times certain demographics they're poorer people mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. don't get right counsel whereas he like had a good like very high paid defense criminal defense team that he hired probably correct <laughs> so after this it was appealed to the michigan state supreme court who denied overturning the conviction and finally appealed to the federal court in 2019. Uh, I never saw an official update on this, but it did look like obviously it was denied. Uh, On August 17, 2020, Babashira actually died in prison at the age of 62. Mind you, this is only a few months into the COVID lockdowns. So uh, the reason for his death was not confirmed that I could find. 
they basically released a statement from the prison system or like the federal prison he was in saying like, you know, due to HIPAA guidelines, we can't say if you're going to ask if it's COVID. I also can't say, but this prison had zero COVID cases at the time. So like deny that. Um, I did find that he had some health issues the last couple years and was diagnosed with some sort of liver disease at the time he was on dialysis. So he was pretty sick. And when he died, Jane's sister actually released a statement stating the following. I am disappointed he only spent eight years in prison. That is just not long enough for all that he ruined. So, uh, important fun fact. I have other ones that we'll get to, but uh, <laughs> before I, I will let you add, but it is important to note that Bob did maintain his innocence the entire time, even up until death. Uh, he was very adamant he did not kill his wife. I think it's like hit or miss. Sometimes people admit it, but. A lot of times we see that they don't. <laughs> um, yes. Important also, like, his children moved out of state. They have never spoken to him. Uh, his family hasn't spoken to him. I mean, his whole family d does believe he had her killed, from what I could read. And Jane's family. So, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see family members that are like, no, this couldn't have happened. No, they're all yeah. like... Yeah, this man fucking did it. So I know he maintained his innocence. He was found guilty, though. So I'm going to say he did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, I would agree with that. That's how it goes. Uh, anything to add? I tried to, like, keep it as <laughs> short and sweet, but it still include good details because I think it's very easy to get lost in this case. It's definitely an easy one to get lost in. Um, The only thing, I guess, that I also saw that like you didn't mention that I'll add was that he also had prior to his death when he was in jail committed a bunch of violations yes they kind of made me giggle a little bit so some of them were dumb this, yeah so I'm assuming you saw this too so it was like lying uh using vulgarity <laughs> hoarding food and medication like you can't hoard ramens come on uh, talking without permission and conducting business on a prison phone. So the talking without permission really got me fired up. I was like, what is Same. this, like, <laughs> second grade? Like, did you I raise your there hand? Was like a, there was, like, a violation for being in the wrong cell. And I'm like, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> like... And the same with the hoarding food and medication. First of all, I thought that the medication, like, they give it to you, you know, once Correct. a day or twice a day or whatever. So how is he hoarding medication? And hoarding food, <laughs> like, why is why is that wrong? Like, is he hoarding just, like, I guess, like, the lunches that they give you? Like, not just, like, the extra stuff that you can buy, like, from commissary? Well, I, I, was that say, I thought sense. you could buy stuff from the commissary and, like, people stock up on that stuff because so that's maybe how it's you, like, a, that, it's, like, though. a trading point. Like, oh, a cup of noodles. Like, so I don't yeah, know yeah. what kind of food he was, like, hoarding. So maybe it was just, like, he was getting, like, you know, lunch or breakfast or whatever. Because, like, the the commissary stuff is at least, like, dry goods or, you know, stuff yeah. that doesn't go bad. But if you're hoarding, like, fucking actual food that, like, isn't in a container or whatever... I don't yeah. know. I, I guess we'll never actually know. Correct. <laughs> uh, I did see something about, like, the clothing Jane being worn. 
was like lost at some point too, which was like a big piece yeah. of key evidence. Um, I didn't like follow that too much. It sounds like they accidentally <laughs> released the evidence of her clothing to the funeral home with her belongings and then the funeral home destroyed it because it wasn't claimed or something like that. I don't know. I like got really lost on the tangent. Uh, and it obviously it didn't prevent anything because there was still conviction. Yeah. I think that was just like a random piece like that. Yeah. Important to note, but like it didn't affect the case, you know, it's not unsolved and we were unable to solve it because her clothes weren't there. Exactly. Uh, anything else to add? I tried to do my best. <laughs> no, I think you did a good job. I think you handled all the the main pieces of it. And it was interesting. This I'd never heard of it. Um, obviously, Wisconsin and Michigan aren't that far away. But right. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, this is your local news. And I never, never went across my screen. Yeah, so it was like obviously I do remember, and then like I had said immediately there was like local coverage. It did get like bigger coverage, and it was followed very closely by like Detroit Fox Two News and like stuff like that because of the salacious headlines and like all that stuff that started coming out. They followed it closely. Like everyone wanted to know all the details. Uh, I think it's important to note too, like. A lot of Bob's personality, like, is hard to convey, right? So, like, I kind of just told everything matter of fact. But in one, like, it was more of, like, an opinionated article was about how he was known as, like, Big Bob. (laughs) First of all, um, (laughs) if you are a grown man in your 50s calling yourself Big Bob, (laughs) there's an issue. And I'm saying this as someone who my boyfriend jokingly calls himself Big Jake. (laughs) Which (laughs) Sydney is the only one that like lets this happen. (laughs) (laughs) I shut this down every time. (laughs) I encourage it. I think it's funny. (laughs) But like, you know what I mean? There's something like I think of like Big Bob is like this like sleazy furniture store owner who thinks he's hot shit in the town and like that's what I picture right (laughs) and I know it's probably really bad but that's kind of how he acted uh there have been like lots of lots of stories on this like Dateline covered an episode I did not watch it I didn't have time but I'll probably go back and watch it it's called Sex Lies and Murder and so, like, the judge, for example, and, like, prosecutors, they've been interviewed a lot of times and for all this stuff. And in one interview, the judge was asked to describe Bob's character. And I included this because I think this captures who he is. It said manipula- <laughs> manipulative, cunning, and dangerous is what she had said. So, like, she could very much tell, like, he came in very snazzy and well-dressed and he was like sneering in the courtroom and like joking around and like, you know, he was the type of person that like was in interviews, fake crying, but you, if you paid attention, there's like no tears. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of how he was. And I think there was like a big, it was a big thing. Like he kind of thought he would get away with it. So, um, yeah, I have a very weird connection that I 
so excited to finally yes. get this case to tell you. So tell 2012, <laughs> when it happened, uh, you know, after I graduated, I graduated high school in 2011. And so it was a year later. And uh, sorry, parents, if you don't know, I was definitely underage drinking. I'm very sorry. Uh, but the summer of 2012, <laughs> I was, that's when Bob was arrested for hiring a hitman on Joe Gens, right? And he was arrested that summer. And that's how they put him away until his trial. And my friends and I were hanging out. Uh, and we were partying a lot with a friend who was older and it was like him and his dad that lived in this house. Well, <laughs> his freaking landlord who owns that house was Bob Bashira. So we were partying there like a week after Bob was arrested and he was like, yeah, I'm probably gonna have to move. I don't know what's going to happen. My landlord was just arrested. Oh my God. Isn't that fucking wild? That is. I love and this. And they did end up moving. <laughs> they, they, I would assume so. <laughs> but yeah, I remember like partying at the house with them. They lived in another town not far. It's called St. Clair Shores. And he was like, I'm going to have to move, I think. <laughs> it was just like a casual conversation. And someone was like, why? And he's like, oh, haven't you heard the news? Like, my my landlord's Bob Bashira. He got arrested for trying to have his handyman killed. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. He's like, he was always weird. He was always making weird comments, but like about his wife to us, but like <laughs> he never asked us. Thank God. That's, that's what I was gonna ask. Like, did he like <laughs> was he weird or like did he ever say anything, like make comments of like yeah, he seems like a normal guy. Or, you know. Yeah, no, he definitely said he got creeper vibes from Bob. <laughs> love it. Just love it. And I remember being like, oh, my God, I've read all about this. <laughs> this is so That's weird. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, it's, you know, it's no, like, seven degrees Kevin Bacon. But I was yeah. definitely like, this is a Bob Bashera property. Like, this is fucking wild. That's interesting. That's really <laughs> interesting. Yes. That's a connection I would have never guessed. I thought you were going to say, like, it was my friends, <laughs> cousins, brothers, you know, so <laughs> that's always what my connections are. That's always what my connections are. So I just assumed it would be something like that. <laughs> I mean, you'd think so. It, I I still think it's, like, so crazy. I talk about it all the time. You went into the property. Yeah, that's I used crazy. to party like on the property. I've been in the house to pee. <laughs> we used to party in the garage and have beer pong out there. You know, Midwestern things. You hang out in the garage. Yes, absolutely. Or basements. We do like basement bars too, but. Yeah, yeah, we do those too. <laughs> but yeah, I can like, I'm still friends with said person on <laughs> Facebook and Snapchat. I can message him and he'd probably be like, what the fuck are you messaging me about? But <laughs> why are you why are you still concerned about this? Why are you still talking about this? This is years ago. Literally, but I'm like, man, that's cool. I love this. That's awesome. And that's if anyone really can great. appreciate like this just randomness, that would be that would be you, Sydney, and potentially some of our listeners. So Yes, I love a good random connection. <laughs> well, that's all I got on Bob and Jane Bashera. Hopefully I did it justice. Go check out a Dateline episode and let me know how it is. I like I said I'll probably watch it this week. <laughs>
Yeah, I saw that there was the the Dateline too. I did not watch it, but it's probably gonna get watched at some point. Yeah, I mean, like I read, I didn't watch a clip of like this interview he had. I can't remember with who it was, but it was like basically maybe it was the Daily Beast he did an interview with when he was behind okay. bars. I think it was them. I'm looking at my sources, but that's where he was like. I'm a Christian and I'm a pacifist. I would never. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so glad I just read the summary of his interview. Cause I could not watch a clip of him saying that I would have died. <laughs> Dude. That's funny. Yep. Well, got some jokes and facts. I do. So I cute. do. What do you want first? We're going to do a fact first. I thought about maybe switching it up today, but we're not going to do it this week. (laughs) So in the early 1990s, avocados frequently went by the name alligator pear. And I looked it it up, and if you just type in, like, alligator pear, it says, like, another name for an avocado. And I was like, what the fuck? I've never heard that. I'm literally Googling it right now. Another term for avocado, and it pulls up avocados. Yes. Okay, it was originally called alligator pear after an Irish man in 1696 called its tree by the name alligator pear tree. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. That's so Super random. random. So random. And like even the the little story cuz I have the little story written down too. It's like completely random. Doesn't make any sense like but it blew up. That's so funny. I appreciate that fact. I'm going to call it an alligator pear from now on. And everyone's going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> They're going to be like, are you dumb? <laughs> uh, and then you can tell them a little fun fact. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> love it. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Hit me with the joke. What does guacamole in a hurry say? What? Avocado go. Oh, my God. I was like, it's got something to do with the avocado, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, um, Lord. <laughs> that's good. That was good. <laughs> I'd say it's better than last week's. <laughs> last week was good. Come on. <laughs> oh, my it's gosh. It's nacho day. <laughs> Well, folks, you can find us on Facebook, Tacos and Tequila Podcast. On Instagram, and just Tacos and Tequila. We also have a website, tacosandtequilapodcast.com. Not to brag on myself, but I've been keeping up very well on our you website. You sure have. You sure <laughs> so, have. Weekly, you can find every episode with a summary and our sources and a link to our Spotify. Yeah, definitely props to you on that because I did actually go on there the other day or last <laughs> week or something. And I was like, wow, she's up to date on here. I think I hadn't, I didn't post this week's until Saturday. So I'm a little delayed sometimes, but it's within a week I am posting the updated episode, uh, updated posts. So that's impressive. 
And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a rating and or review. It helps us get noticed, helps us see what you like and don't like. And it's just kind of cool. Agreed. I just went through also our emails. Oh, uh, I always forget about those. I actually, I forgot too. And I was like, I should probably check. And we had nothing but spam emails. So it was Love nothing it. important. So please also feel free to email us. Uh, any case suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Uh, any thoughts, comments, reviews. I will say, oh, wait, what's our email first before I move on? <laughs> Tacos and Tequila? Yeah, Gmail. A Gmail. Okay. I was curious if there was podcast or no podcast. Uh, but I will say I got a personal review passed along. Uh, shout out. <laughs> I'll shout out my dad because my dad's yes. always promoting us and I when I feel way too uncomfortable to do it and he'll always be telling people at work to listen on like mass emails of internal employees yeah and then he'll like forward it to me and I'll be like this is really embarrassing but also thank you uh and one of the guys had responded back and was like I've actually been listening since like pretty much the beginning you guys they have gotten a lot better and I like you know tell them to keep up the great work so thanks because I always tell people not to listen to like our first like five episodes are awful same and uh if you are that guy I really this email was like days ago I cannot remember off the top of my head so if you are that guy thank you (laughs) for listening and we love the feedback we appreciate it yeah yes all better it does. And it's just, I mean, even if it's bad things too, like it helps us to know what we should fix or what we should keep an eye out for. Like, yeah. Obviously not everyone's going to like us. I'm okay with that. But it's just cool. I mean, like even at the beginning, and we definitely sounded a, a little weird. And I think I tried to record like the first episode off like my AirPods or something like that. And someone was like, yeah, you know, the last like couple episodes or your first couple episodes really sounded like you were a little underwater and I was like, yikes. So it's not just me that hears that. Great. Gonna switch yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're still not like professional quality. <laughs> no, uh, no. Stuff here. And I don't know if we'll ever be, to be really honest, but I also will say, you know, things have gotten better here. <laughs> I think that they definitely have. And this is also like, not like a professional podcast may we keep Ex- in mind so like exactly. this the is quality like a- is not going to be 100 percent. this is a hobby for us and it's fun Correct. to do <laughs> but we do a- but we do appreciate the support in the meantime so yes love uh, it. and it's fun knowing other people you know care <laughs> we exactly. like it- we like covering things that you might not hear anywhere like even this case it's a huge case near me and like I remember this case and all that stuff but I have literally never heard an episode cover on it so and I listen to like probably now five or six (laughs) true crime podcasts like regularly so yeah we like to tell other people's stories that haven't been told if you have those suggestions let us know yes please and I think that's it. I don't think I have anything else to add here. No, that's definitely it. <laughs> well, you guys enjoy the rest of your day and we will talk to you next week then. Bye. Bye.